Welcome to episode 1016 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined as always on Sunday by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Doing well. How's everybody doing out there in uh, podcast land? Uh, I- I'm sick. Um, and this is, is it, it's been a little brutal, but I'm here. I'm excited to be here in spite of being sick because we have a fantastic guest who I'm hoping I'm not going to butcher her last name because I forgot to ask how to pronounce it. But we are joined by Lauren Arbach. You got it. You got it. Yeah. All of you out there in fantasy land telling me I'm bad at pronouncing names. Nailed that one. Lauren, welcome to the show. Nailed it. That's good. I get that a lot. So, you know, it's pretty common. Um, I generally have to tell people it's just like Red Auerbach. And there are certain people that are just like, oh, okay, I get that. But I feel like to some of the, the younger folks, they're just like, who? You know, um, so yeah, no, I am very happy to be here, guys. I was looking forward to it um, and excited to talk baseball with you guys. Justin, uh, I think she was worried after hearing you pronounce Drew Rasmussen's last name, what you were going to do to hers. Yeah, no, there's, <laughs> uh, and uh, don't get me wrong, I appreciate it. I absolutely appreciate it when people like correct me on, on pronouncing last names, but mm-hmm. I, I am awful at it. Um, even though it is a huge pet peeve of mine, I listen to other podcasts or listen to things. I once dropped a uh, a, a history class because someone, per, uh, my teacher, mispronounced my my actual last name, not Mason. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, so I was like, nope, not 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 saying in this history You're class. So done. yeah, so well, I think that's how <laughs> Justin crossed, got on this podcast. the line there. <laughs> I think that's how he originally got on this podcast. He he emailed in and was like, man, that Eno guy is just slaughtering last names. Somebody's got to do something. And we're like, all right, I, fine, come on and do something. Yeah, when I was producing behind the scene, I would just cut clips of Eno's mispronunciations <laughs> and send them off to the, the bosses at Fangraphs until they finally said, nope, sorry, you know, you got to go. Uh, <laughs> um, Lauren, why don't you remind people where you're on social media mm-hmm. uh, and talk a little bit about what you do over at SP Streamer because you're kind of a fresh new face mm-hmm. uh, and a, a welcome addition to our industry. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm over at SP Streamer and I do the uh, SP Streamer podcast with uh, the great Michael Simeone. Uh, we do that once a week um, and we really kind of talk about everything kind of baseball related. Um, so far, kind of in this off season, we've been doing a lot. We've been, we've been going a lot uh, kind of draft heavy um, strategy wise. Um, and we've had some great guests on. I think Justin, you're coming on in a couple of weeks. Is that I am. right? Yeah. At so, some point. Mike's okay. got to stay up late. I know. This uh, is with... tough for, oh yeah. Cause East coast, West coast. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. I know. It's, he's got to stay up till like 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. to record with me. And... He, he can do the... it, but it's, it's, it's a slog for him. He gets, he gets a little you know? cranky. <laughs> it's okay like yeah but yeah i'm over there with him and we've been doing uh, some great off-season stuff and we will continue to have uh you know great guests throughout the season and then um i also do fantasy content over at uh fan tracks uh, i do some baseball weekly baseball um content and then i also had done some football content over there as well during football season so that's where you can find me were oh, and part- I guess my Twitter is LK Auerbach. Yes. <laughs> there we uh, go. Were you a part of the uh, SP Draft Guide, SP Streamer Draft Guide? I was not a part of the SP Streamer Draft Draft Guide. Um, I think that went out a little bit before I was around, but it is an amazing uh, draft kit. It is chock full of fantasy goodness. Um, there's lots of stuff in there. Uh, gra- there's, you know, player analysis, streaming strategies, prospects, DFS, uh, you know, of course, player ranks and player notes. And, you know, there's a great team. There's a lot of um, 
Dave McDonald contributed a, a he did a draft strategy piece that alone is worth the cost, the $5 cost for this, this draft piece. It was pretty extensive, um, but it was really, really uh, well done. Uh, Mike Curlin also uh, contributed, and then the in-house SP streamer writers, Peyton Skinner, he's a prospect guru. Um, Josh St. Marie, he does a lot of um, hitter streamers. Uh, Victor Akintola, he is the art uh, relief uh, pitcher guy. Uh, and Garrick Outler, and he does the DFS. So there's a ton of stuff in there. Um, I would encourage people to buy it, but definitely check it out. Buy it. You can go to spstreamer.com um, and find out more information there. And I think that Michael, ha it's pinned, it's is his pinned tweet at his mm -hmm. uh Twitter handles, which is SP Streamer. So it's $5. It's well worth the investment. You will absolutely walk away, um, I think, learning something and becoming a better fantasy baseball player. So definitely check it out. Yeah, I mean, $5. He's undercutting the entire market. I, 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 I joked to them last week that he he, <clears throat> he put my uh, guide out of business by mm -hmm. undercutting me, um, which, is, which is not true. But uh, <laughs> we, we, we love what you guys do over at SP Streamers. Definitely go out and support uh, the podcast that Lauren's on, go support the SP Streamer Guide. We are going to talk a bunch of strategy today. I had someone reach out to me about a week or so ago saying, hey, you know, I love the player analysis. Love when you guys talk about, you know, this guy versus that guy or, or you know, who you like in certain positions or who you don't like in certain positions. But I'd really like someone to talk about draft strategy in general and like kind of lay out a bunch of different strategies, uh, some that are very common, some that are not so common, and kind of give the pros and cons of those. And I was like, you know what? That's a really great topic. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and actually, Lauren it was in a draft recently um, that I got to see the draft board from. You were in the Battle of the Podcast, yeah, yeah. like, number two I, the b team uh-huh yeah the b uh-huh i don't know even though is. everyone on there is great both leagues are great but yeah mm -hmm. i think it's not the the initial league it's the second mm -hmm. one yeah. and uh and i saw your team through mm -hmm. i think 10 rounds or maybe 15 mm -hmm. rounds and i was like i really like this team i like the way lauren's building it so i thought this might be a really good episode to do the draft strategies one i did want to do it with paul because I don't like the way he builds teams. We've been over this already. So um, uh, I just I just like giving Paul crap. But anyways, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through some, some draft builds. And then we've got some questions from Twitter. And we'll go through those. Hopefully get through as many as we can, uh, kind of time permitting. Um, already questions in the chat because we are live streaming it out to everybody today. Uh, someone is asking... Justin, are you still going to live stream your tout auction? If so, what's the date? Mm. Uh, I believe the date for that is March 19th. It's that Saturday of that weekend. I am live streaming it. Um, I will also, yeah, I'll also be streaming one of my main events uh, and potentially other things. I can't remember what other drafts I'm going to be live streaming. Um, and then someone says... Uh, starting the TGFBI satellite tomorrow, any advice? So for those of you uh, that don't know, if you aren't in the industry, want to get into TGFBI, the way you can do that is by winning a satellite league. Those have been filling up. We've already filled up 10. Nine of them are going to start drafting tomorrow, uh, and I will continue to fill them up. So if you go to TGFBI.com, uh, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll also put a list or a link in the um, in the show notes. Uh, you can still sign up for those. Uh, advice, 
listen to this episode because we're going to talk about a lot of strategies you might be uh, interested in trying out uh, in a league like that, especially in a league where first place wins a prize, for, uh, you know, second through 14th wins nothing. So you might want to differentiate yourself. Um, let's start with what has become one of the most popular strategies to talk about in fantasy baseball. And that is the pocket aces strategy uh, that our buddy bat flip crazy Toby has championed for years now uh, and been very successful with it. Uh, you know, Phil Dussault is also a guy who does pocket aces pretty often and i hear he's pretty good at playing fantasy baseball <laughs> as well um so uh for for those who don't know pocket aces is when you take two starting pitchers with your first two picks lauren is this a strategy you like personally and what are the pros and cons of it in your opinion well, it's a strategy that I have actually never employed. You know, I tend to kind of lean um, bats over arms, but I totally get the concept behind it. You know, if you want to try and kind of secure, uh, you know, kind of elite uh, strikeouts, innings, like I get it. Um, but I rarely um, am looking to take a starting pitcher in the first round. Now, that's not to say that I haven't. And in fact, in the Battle of the Pods, I actually did uh, go with a starting pitcher in the first round. But that's because um, I felt like he fell to me. Um, so I'm willing to kind of adjust on the fly, which I think that, that you have to. But, um, you know, you know, like I said, kind of my main argument against it is I value uh, those bats a little bit more than um, the arms. And I think especially kind of this year, I think that there are a lot of arms, interesting arms kind of later in the draft that, uh, you know, I'm more com comfortable picking later that I am very happy with kind of anchoring my starting rotation. But I totally get why you do it. But that's why I personally kind of I don't do it. Jason, are you a person that uses uh, pocket aces ever? Um, what are your thoughts in terms of the pros and cons of it? So I used it once uh, in uh, DC just just finished uh, yesterday. Uh, it just finished. I was picking out of the fifteenth spot, uh, and I decided, you know what? I typically never get assigned uh, that, so let me try this out. Uh, and so I took Walker Bueller and Brandon Woodruff out of the gate, uh, and then I spent the rest of the draft trying to just chase down the numbers. Uh, you know, I, when I made a decision to do that, I wanted to make sure that I came out of the first five rounds with, uh, you know. Some steals, some power, some saves. Uh, and so I went Lindor, Classe, and Brandon Lau with three, four, five, Arenado six. Then I was like, okay, I need now I need some more power. So I went and took the shot on, on Giancarlo Stanton. Then I went back and took uh, Akil Badu, Josh Bell, and then Corey Knable to finish out the top 10. Uh, so I ended up with two closers, uh, ended up with enough power, enough speed. Like it wasn't outside of, of what the starting pitchers were giving me. I knew I had a, a nice base, especially with both those relievers also doing well with strikeouts. Then I just had to go through. Uh, I took uh, Ahmed Rosario for the speed in the 11th. Then Craig Kimball was still sitting out there in the 12th, and I just talked myself into taking it. So then I was like, okay, I have potentially three closers with a lot of strikeouts, and I'm done with relievers. So then I was mm -hmm. able to pick up starting pitching throughout along with the hitting. So I took you know Benintendi, Sonny Gray, Bader, Dahlbeck, Elias Diaz, uh, you know Andrew Heaney, Jesus Lazardo, uh, Josiah Gray. Like I could take chances on those types of pitchers mm -hmm. because of what I already had. Uh, so I, I felt better about it as I went in. But like I was, I was uh, texting with a buddy 
throughout and early on, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. Uh, and then the deeper I got into it, I was like, you know what? This isn't so bad. Uh, so you kind of stick with it. Obviously, you kind of have to when you get when you once you do that. Uh, but it, it, it gets better. Uh, and I really, at the end of the day, uh, I'd like what I was able to do because I was able to get there. It's just not a journey that I'm typically taking and putting a roster together. Yeah, I do think it's interesting, though, I because thinking about the strategy, um, you know, I was thinking that if I did it, it would probably be if I'm at that that back that tail end turn mm-hmm. because that's the only probably way I like reason why I would employ that is is if I'm kind of back at that one two turn there. In this league, I was the only person who took two pitchers in the first two rounds. Mm-hmm. Nobody else, nobody else did it, and that's and that was one DC. The other one that I'm uh, the other one that I'm in. Uh, Jeff Erickson did it. Uh, he did Corbin Burns and Zach Wheeler out of the 12 spot. Nobody else did. And then a DC 50 that I did, uh, nobody did it in the, Mm. in a, in a 12 teamer. Nobody did. Yeah. I think I'd also be more, you know, willing to do that in a 15 teamer. I don't know that. I think it's harder to employ. Like, you know, I I don't think you necessarily have to do it in a 12 teamer, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I've done it a few times. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think I started last year was the first time I ever did it. Um, my team turned out pretty good. And I think I ended up winning that league. Uh, and so I've kind of committed to trying it at least once a draft season. Mm. It makes me really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, especially early on in the draft through the first 10 rounds, I really don't necessarily know what to make of my team and how much I like my team. Um, I will say that I end up liking the end results. I, I, I did this recently with my, uh, with my uh, most recent finished uh uh, DC started off Scherzer Wheeler from the 13 spot, ended up getting Mullins, Edwin Diaz, and then Nick Cassianos uh, for three, five, four, five. Um, and while it was uncomfortable, it was actually, uh, I actually really liked it because I was able to just load up on hitters after those first two picks. While I agree that starting pitching is really deep this year, I mean, really, really deep, mm-hmm. there's some pretty big, drastic drop offs. Um, especially after rounds three, four, and then again, usually around rounds 13, 14, something like that. Um, and so I think it's something that can be done successfully. Obviously we've seen that with some of those guys that I've mentioned in in the industry. Um, I just think for me personally, I don't know that I ever have the balls necessarily to do it in like a $1,700 main event like Mm -hmm. that. I, I don't know that I've got that, uh, (laughs) <laughs> that for I mean, it did lead it did lead me to take to acquire players that I normally fade uh just because of the risk factor like you know taking Badu when I did at the top of the eighth round grabbing somebody like Harrison Bader um, and Andrew Benintendi those types of player profiles typically mm-hmm. aren't high on my radar but given that I yeah, out of the first four rounds, all I had was Lindor and whatever steals he's bringing. I needed to make sure that I kept building that uh, because that's the risk that you take. I tweeted out a graph earlier today uh, showing the ADP and the steals. Uh, you know, over the last 30 days, uh, ADP of draft champions and then the steals, the players projected with more than five steals by Rotowire's projections and looked at it. And like there's this clump of guys early. And if you take the strategy, you've missed out on that clump. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, now you got to try to, you know, take your chances elsewhere. And uh, maybe it puts you in the, I got to get Miles Straw uh, mix or, you know, you miss out on Miles Straw. It's like, okay, 
Now I got to try to get Jonathan VR or you know Leody Tavares on a bounce back, whose ADP has dropped like 400 spots since last year, uh, where he was inside the top 200, and now he's going super late. Uh, it's an intriguing thing, but that's kind of where uh, you have to make sure you, when you look at it, if you're going to invest in this much pitching early on and just say all that speed, eh. Um, and if you're going to invest in that and do a closer like I did, you got to pay attention mm-hmm. to how you build your speed because it just evaporates. Uh, and that's why I started taking those players. And then by the end, once I took Bader, I felt good enough. I'm like, okay, now I can go get the, the spec. I got Dahlbeck, who we've talked about enough on this. Uh, and you know, I took Arias to help offset Dahlbeck plus the runs he has and then just built it throughout uh, try to take different uh, playing time chances down the, down the chain of the reserves just to be able to try to cycle through, uh, make sure I have enough uh, offense to carry out this plan. And that's the thing you have to have, you have to have a plan then if you're going to do something like this, if you're get, that means you, if you're taking those two pocket aces, you're going to be missing out on kind of elite speed, you know, and power, <laughs> excuse me, that you can get certainly like at later points in the draft, but you have to have a game plan for that. And it's one of those things that um, I tend to do kind of a more balanced draft in general. That's more of my style, but because I don't like to rely on, say, a Miles Straw or one guy for a bulk of categories. Um, but you do have to think about that and you have to be aware of that. And you have to, you know, you have to read the draft room and see where guys are going. And if you have to jump guys, you know, you have to do that too. So it's so one of those things I think it depends on your skills as a drafter really come into play based on some of these strategies. I recommend trying it. Like, yeah. you know, even if it's, you know, for those of you who aren't going to play in a million leagues, um, you know, and you, you don't necessarily want to do it for the first time in your most important league, you know, try it in a, like a mock draft room or something mm-hmm. like that, just to get kind of the feel of it and see, Hey, is this something I could maybe actually try it? Because it, I, you know, it has been successful for, for many people. Um, we yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna, I was going to add uh, a final point. It's like it, to, to piggyback off what you just said, mock it out. I mean, go look at what the go look at what it took to get to the 80th percentile in the different uh, in the different categories, and go mock it out. We, we talked yeah. last week, uh, I believe it was last week, about you know how awesome the Rotolab software is. It allows mm-hmm. you to go ahead and do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Rotowire draft software allows you to do this too. Go build something out and see what happens. And if you think you know, you look at it and you're like, wow, okay, this played out well, uh, or you could look at it and say, oh my god, yes, yeah, Sage are evaporating too early. Adjust your strategy, but you have ways to mock these things out and to see how uh, you know how it's going to play out based on those types of simulations. Just so you think, oh, this will work. I'm going to take. You know, I'm going to like me. Yeah, you know, I didn't go into a plan on taking three closers in the twelve rounds, but when I'm seeing Craig Kimbrell sit there, I you know adjusted. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're seeing. We'll talk a little bit more about it. But now people are taking back to back closers. Uh, you know, in the early early as these things keep uh, happening but go mock it out some people aren't just doing this because they feel like it they mm-hmm. tested it out somehow some way uh and they believe they can get to where they need to be in spite of it right um we did get a, a twitter question that i want to kind of throw into this because there was a gentleman on twitter i, I believe he was it was a gentleman um that said if i only draft pitchers in my fir- with my first 10 picks mm-hmm. who uh are the position players you'd fill with your roster as a strategy and planning on drafting. I want to really focus on whether or not he should do this strategy, mm-hmm. because I think there is no way for this strategy to be successful. Um, I mean, obviously it depends on the size of your league, but I think you just give up too much in terms of counting categories 
it, you know, on your offense by not taking a in, a, in a five by five roto league, which I believe he said it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he said a 12 team or two. Yeah. I just, I don't know that you can successfully pull that off uh, and put yourself that behind in stolen bases that behind a batting average, because the batting average you're going to get later comes with a lack of production in the other counting categories. Mm-hmm. Lauren, what are your thoughts? Because you interacted with him a little bit. Well, yeah, because I was like, well, that is an interesting strategy, you know, and I wanted to know the league size. And he said it was 12. And I think that I think that he had said that it basically uh, his league was pretty pitcher heavy. And I think his goal was to, you know, kind of front load uh, with with the pitcher stuff and then just win one or two of the batting categories. I think that was Mm -hmm. the thing. you know, I went and I looked at ADP just because I was kind of curious in terms of like, okay, like, well, who would you target then? You know, um, and I think, you know, kind of looking at kind of the players, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think that you have to, I think you have to see where the third base position stands, you know, kind of 130 positions out. Um, and you, I think that I would, um, Justin, to your point, you know, bringing up guys with batting averages, uh, good batting plus batting averages, whether it's, you know, Luis Arias or Justin Turner um, or players like that, where I think that you're going to have to secure that. And by the way, those are players that I actually don't mind kind of later, um, you know, kind of later points in the draft. Um, and I also think that in order to do it, I also would probably prioritize players that have um, multiple uh, play multiple positions, but yeah, I don't know. I think that if you are going to do that, you do have to dig really deep in the player pool and you have to identify what guys are going to, you know, if you want to target runs or RBI or, or whatever your cat batting category, your batting category is, you're going to have to plan that out. I think it could be done. I'm very intrigued by it. I just don't, um, I, I I would also want to know how how this this strategy ends up if he does do this um, because I do think it's interesting. <laughs> uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, most of what Lauren said. <laughs> I mean, it's I've seen guys do it the other way where they've gone all hitters and then pitchers. Mm-hmm. But you, when you look and you guys said it was a fifteen teamer, twelve because yeah, yeah, twelve. Okay, so mm-hmm, yeah. and then if if we assume that. This was an FB style, NFBC style. Just if there's only a seven seven man bench out of this as well, it's like if you take all those pitch all those pitchers, and then you all, you're almost dictating that you you're probably going to have to take at least five, if not six, bats on reserves as you're trying to build your way to the stats, which leaves you one pitcher, one or two pitchers on the ready five. Uh, if something happens uh, with those guys and we know what pitching injuries happen and you're going to have to spend those guys in. So that's really where you run the risk. Now, if you have a deeper bench, let's say you, you know, I don't know what the, what the reserve round situation is, but let's say you have 10 rounds, maybe a little more doable uh, in that capacity, but I've gone into like auction formats where I've seen the room push prices up on starting pitching and decided, you know what, forget it. I'm out. Mm -hmm. There's one year I spent $28 on pitching. Because it was like, you know, I can make trades. I'm just going to buy the offense. Uh, I'll make I'll make trades. And then the reserve rounds, uh, I was picking up every pitcher I possibly could uh, in the reserves where I didn't have to overpay for them. I could just say pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. Uh, and I finished in the money that year. I uh, didn't win the league, but it finished in the money with that particular strategy. So it's a little different in auction uh, capacity. But you, you've got to, this is another example, go mock it out, try it out. Because uh, I, I'm, I'd be really curious 
uh, what the reserve round restrictions were because you you almost guaranteed you have to pick up the extra bats just so you can try to because you're going to get stuck with with the uh, the flaws. You're going to get stuck with guys on the strong side of platoons, which isn't so bad, but they're not 500 play appearance yeah. guys. They're 450 and less. So if you get uh, like a Willie Calhoun or a uh, a Gavin Sheets type of guy, lefties that have uh, that haven't shown the ability to hit lefties yet at the major league level. What are you going to do in a week where they're facing four lefties? Mm-hmm. You have you're going to have you want to pull them out uh, and do something like that. You need to have the reserves to pull it off. So if if I were to do something like this, um, there's there's one of two strategies that I would try. So this is for the guy that if you're going to do it, in spite of the fact that I think all of us are probably in agreement, but a bad idea. um, I would either then build my entire offense with accumulators Mm -hmm. Um, guys that I would just sort by projected plate appearances and just start filling with as many plate appearances as possible because you've given up so much upside. You need to just get guaranteed plate appearances later on. Or I would do something called the Sweeney plan, which is not a draft strategy we have on the list today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is uh, it's what is called or uh, considered a double punt. So you punt two categories that are closely related to each other. So mm-hmm. home runs and RBIs, maybe like speed and stolen bases. And that's probably the one I would do is I would just say and steals I'm and runs. Uh, yeah, I would I would punt or sorry, uh, steals and average. I'd probably punt okay. steals and average. And just load up on the Gallows, the Bobby Dahlbecks. Um, because in order to win a league, you're like you usually have to finish about on average third place in every category. If you're going to punt multiple categories, you need to finish first place in every category. Mm-hmm. And so I would punt two and say, you know, especially batting average has variance. Maybe you get lucky, you finish seventh instead of twelfth. Um, and then you know, you know, crush all the other categories. I, I personally wouldn't try this. What I would, if 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 you've got a pitching heavy league, maybe I'd do my first five picks as starting or as, uh, you know, three starting pitchers, two relief, two relief pitchers, and then work on the offense. I think ten is a bit extreme. Mm-hmm. It's definitely interesting. Like I said, I'd be curious to see how that turns out if if yes. we end up doing that. Yeah, but please tag us with your yeah. team if you do end up doing this because mm-hmm. I, I would I'd be I'd love to see how it turned out. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. The next one I just called pocket closers. I don't know what the term for it is, but with how uh, closers have been going in terms of draft price so far early in the season, um, I've, I've actually even seen someone take two closers in the first two rounds. But how do you guys feel about taking two early closers? So let's say you've seen somebody take two in the first two rounds. I saw yeah. someone recently, it was at the turn, like yep. a one and a two, yeah. Yeah, take, take Hendricks and Hayter, mm-hmm. yeah. one, two. Yeah. Uh, I saw someone, I think, do it at 13. Uh, okay. And so, and then I, I think I've seen someone do it at 15 as well. So, how do you, Jason, how do you feel about taking maybe two closers in your first five to six rounds right. or yeah, even higher me. than that? <laughs> you see me shaking. So, I was going back and looking at some of the leagues <laughs> that I've been in. Uh, somebody in, in the AFL writers league, nobody did. I, I take that back. Jeff Zimmerman took Rossiel Iglesias and Edwin Diaz in rounds three and four. Uh, mm-hmm. so he did that, but nobody else had as many as, uh, two closers in that particular league. So he pulled it and he's won that league the last two years. So 
you know, surprise. Somebody did do the Hater Hendricks out of the out of the two spot Turner, Hater Hendricks uh, in one in one of my DCs, and then the uh, DC fifty. Nobody did. I already said that nobody took multiple pitchers, but I'm not seeing any team that took multiple uh, relievers um, either. So personally, no. I did mention the one league that I took uh, at the DC where I took Class A, but I, I took Knable in round ten. Uh, I took. I do like having two guys by the tenth round, but I, I, I don't know. Just me. I can't get on board with taking two in the first five or six. Uh, just because of the volatility of this reliever market coming into this offseason. Like right now, today, like, yeah, there's six, seven guys, and everybody else, like, go all over the place. Mm-hmm. But once uh, once the owners decide to let the players back in and start doing all the different transactions, all that's going to get blown up. And so, like, right now, sure, once all that stuff gets blown up, what if Kenley Jansen goes back to the Dodgers or Kenley Jansen goes to Miami Craig Kimball gets traded to the Dodgers. I mean, all these different things that can happen, then it gets a little crazier, and then we can get back to some to some normalcy um, with this. But right now, it's, it's it's a supply and demand issue where people are like, I'd rather have that one rock-solid person uh, and then try to spec later. In one league, I said I, I did three closers in the, in the top 12 rounds, never intended to do Kimball. But then the other one, I took Will Smith in the fifth, and I didn't take another reliever until like the 16th. I missed out. It wasn't my plan. I just missed out in few, and I was like, you know what? All of these guys stink at this point. Let me see how well. Let me see how late I can I, I can sink it. Uh, and then that one, you know, Jake McGee was my my next reliever at sixteen thirteen, and then I took Lou Trevino at at twenty thirteen. Not you know, neither were targets, but at the time, that's where they were. Rather than trying to reach, so I, you know, in the tenth round where I lost the opportunity to take some guys. Uh, I took Eduardo Rodriguez when somebody else snaked me on something else. I went to another, I just said, give me another starting pitcher or give me a good hitter and try it like that. So uh, that's, that's me. I, I did it in one league where I took three and 12. The other one, I let it fade. And honestly, I'm comfortable with both approaches in that regard. Lauren, what about you? Do you feel comfortable taking pocket closers? I I don't mind. I'm actually fine with two closers, say within the top six rounds. Like I, I, I can kind of dig that. I don't like the kind of um, first round, second round. Like that's, that's way too early. I, I, you know, I just for lots of reasons, but I think that um, for me also personally, I'm really bad at managing um, saves. So I oftentimes will pay up for closers just to have that kind of peace of mind because I know I'm terrible at, um, I never want to like, I'm just bad at drafting uh, uh, closers. So I like to get closers early on anyway. So barring health, um, you know, I can count on, you know, uh, say maybe six, 60, 60 saves or something like that. So I don't, I don't mind it. But like I said, I think that the, um, that one, two uh, is, is that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I could do the one, two. Mm-hmm. Um, I have done the two, three. Um, you know, been on like the wheel of, of the, uh, of, you know, it did gone Turner and then Hater Hendricks mm-hmm. fall or, you know, Hater or in Rossi Iglesias or Hendricks or Rossi Iglesias. I don't have a problem doing that because I don't want to play in the back end of the save school as a necessity. I want to take dart throws, at, you know, for a third guy that might, you know, really separate me from the rest of the field, especially in overall. But uh, my hope is that I leave the sixth, seventh, eighth rounds with at least two closers mm-hmm. uh, that I feel really confident in. It doesn't always happen, especially with the way that draft prices have been kind of being pushed up. 
Um, and I'm not going to take like a closer in the top 20 or 25 picks. Um, I just, I just can't force myself to do it. At least not yet. I have not been in a position yet where I felt comfortable doing that. So um, I, you know, I, I think people are obviously overreacting to what the situation is. I think I was talking about this on Twitter last night uh, with some people in the industry. I think this is all exacerbated by the fact that there is a lockout and we don't have these guys, you know, we don't know where Ian Kennedy is going to end up or Alex Colomay or Kenley Jansen or uh, Craig Kimbrell. You know, all these guys will help settle other situations, hopefully at some point. And I think maybe then the prices might come down a little bit, but uh, the fact that, or the longer this takes, I think the longer this craziness continues. Um, Yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say, but do you think that even, I mean, but how many closer situations are there that are really up in the air though? I mean, because I think that, you know, you know, you talk about, um, I mean, Kimbrel's going to go somewhere and close somewhere likely. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then uh, uh, Kenley Jansen, you know, it's either Jansen or maybe if he goes somewhere, what Trinan comes up and uh, you know, I just don't, I mean, I think that, yes, I think that the prices will go down once some of these uh, situations get kind of settled outside of the lockout. But I also don't think there's a ton of them out there. Um, And so I also don't, I, this is also why I'm also a proponent of kind of taking some of these surefire closers early, because I still don't think that there are a ton of um, up in the air jobs here. Yeah, I think, let me clarify. I think mm-hmm. the prices of the second and third tiers of closers will come down. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I don't. I okay. I, I think I think you're still going to end up having to pay a third round price at least for Hader, Hendricks, Iglesias. I think guys like Klasse, Presley, mm-hmm. Chapman. I think you're still going to have to pay a third, fourth, fifth round price on those guys. But I think like you know we've seen um, guys like uh, Kniebel jump up a lot. Um, you know, guys like Dylan Toro jump up a lot. And I think those prices on those guys that aren't necessarily elite mm-hmm. um, or their jobs aren't necessarily 100% safe, I think maybe the prices on those guys will drop a little bit. Yeah. And people, people will feel more confident about playing in that pool a little bit more than they are right now. Because, I mean... I mean do you want to invest in a guy like Kniebel or Floro or even like Jordan Romano, knowing that there's a chance that you know, Toronto trades for Craig Kimbrell or, you know, Miami, you know, signs Kenley Jansen. Like, I like those guys or some of those guys, but there gets to be a a domino effect too. Let's, you know, let's play out, let's play out a a certain scenario. Let's take this hypothetical. Uh, You know, maybe Texas is not done spending money. You know, they spent money on Simeon. They spent money on Seager. Uh, Joe Barlow was not the answer, Right. They go out and let's say they either they go for Kenley Jansen, or they trade for Craig Kimball or Taylor Rogers, who, uh, you know who was mm-hmm. on the trade deadline last year. You know they do something. All of a sudden, that impacts multiple roles. All of a sudden, Joe Barlow goes in the tank. His value's gone. Uh, and then okay, we don't have to worry about this guy going here. So that guy's there. Uh, and then if somebody uh, out of if Rogers gets traded Minnesota, somebody else goes way up. Uh, if 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 uh, Gabe Kapler comes out and says, "You know what? I'm I, I'll give the ball to 
Rodgers, McGee, Doval, I don't care. That's going to impact all of their values because right now Doval is the one being drafted highly. So if, as soon as managers start talking, stuff goes up. And if like the hypothetical, if Texas were to make a deal, it impacts where we thought the guy may go, where he went, and then who he's replacing. So some of these things end up impacting the value of three guys. And as soon as you say closer, because we see it in season when somebody makes two saves, it's going to cost you 200 bucks to pick that person up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same thing. We're going to see multiple round. We're going to see multiple round ADP jumps. You know, take a snapshot of what ADP looks like today. And they end this madness next weekend. Uh, you know, then we, we see where, where some of this stuff starts jumping as they start making acquisitions and start talking, saying this is what we're going to do. Oh, I will be so happy if they end this madness. Um, I just, yeah. I've already had one spring training game canceled. I'm still holding breath <gasps> that my second one isn't canceled on March 5th, but not holding on. Um, yeah. Let, let's uh, let's move on to uh, the, the next one. Uh, Lauren, you talked about being a fan of kind of a balanced approach. Mm-hmm. So talk about how you like to implement that um, and why <laughs> you're such a fan of it. I know, I feel like this is a very kind of vanilla strategy, but this is this is this is how I roll in in drafts, and it's I kind of go very balanced team and uh, low risk. So um, I love guys that contribute across the board all day, and I prefer to kind of accumulate those guys, kind of those maybe tw- 20, 10 guys. Um, they kind of give you uh, good kind of batting average. I love to collect them starting at the top and then kind of going down and. Um, I don't like to draft guys, especially say in the top 10 rounds, uh, that don't give me a little bit of that kind of power speed combo. Um, I'm always kind of less interested in guys that really like a big power bat uh, with zero um, steals, for example. It's not, you know, say, say like a Freddie Freeman. I mean, he's giving you elite um, kind of category, four categories. And, and well, he chipped in some steals, but so maybe that's not like the best uh, example there. But um I am much more inclined to look at kind of these power speed combo guys and fill my draft up uh, with them because I don't like, like I said earlier, I don't like to rely on say, you know, one or two guys for the bulk of steals, for example. I just don't like that because if one of them goes out, you're really, you know, you've shot yourself in the foot. So, um, so that's what I try and do. I, I, you know, I generally try to get um, kind of two starters in the first uh, six rounds and, um, sprinkle that kind of those first 10 uh, rounds with power speed combo guys. Yeah, this is kind of my preferred strategy as well. Uh, my, my goal is in the first six rounds to have three hitters uh, that cover all five categories. Uh, then at least, well, in three pitchers, it can be two starters and a reliever or two relievers and a starter, depending on kind of the values or how I'm approaching that right. specific draft. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, do you prefer a balanced team? Uh, seems like a, seems like a silly question. <laughs> no, I mean, I prefer honestly, unbalanced. Like I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said earlier, I would, I would, uh, if it depends if it's a straight draft or an auction. In a straight draft, yeah, I, I'll go in and I want a balanced team. In an auction, I'm not going to let any pre-scripted play dictate what's happening. If I see if I see values coming up in the auction, I'm more than willing to adjust and keep my options open mm-hmm. on that. Like I said earlier, if I see everybody pushing the price up on starting pitching, I'll just go grab hitting, uh, especially in a league where I can make trades. Uh, you know, there are uh, I'm home league where there are multiple people that believe every closer is worth $20. It doesn't matter how bad they are. If they're named the primary closer, 
they're going to push them up. Uh, and so I just tend to throw those guys out early, just start throwing them out, get that money off the table, and then I'll just go do what I want uh, afterwards. So I'd like to keep my, the, the flexibility open. And I would consider that, I mean, there's different ways of running the risk. Uh, I would say like way back in the day, uh, you know, for those uh, for those uh, ancient folks like me, remember picking up the the baseball weekly and looking at the old strategies coming out of baseball weekly uh, on the way. There was a 7-Eleven right at the corner of University and Dean Road on my way to UCF. And I would pull in there, get a baseball weekly on Wednesday mornings and a Slurpee and go to class. Right. <laughs> and like there, everybody had like, hey, this is their draft strategy. And I remember reading like Lenny Melnick and Erwin Zwilling would talk about spread the risk, no more than $25 on any player in an auction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen the, you know, the Stars and Scrubs approach, obviously, is, is very well known, uh, but it, different approaches like that. But I remember trying to do that. I'm not going to spend more than 25 And then looking at a guy like, oh, he got the 25 then nope, I'm out. And you can't live that rigidly uh, with things. So it, honestly, the short answer it depends on the format. Uh, yes, in a draft, no in an auction. I, I don't want to be handcuffed to a specific strategy in an auction and miss out on in auction dynamics. Hmm. Um, the next one uh, I want to talk about is uh, the old Lima plan. And for those who don't know what that is, uh, that is a low investment Mount Aces. It was uh, kind of coined by uh, the great Ron Chandler. And then the idea is really an offensive heavy approach, right? You, you get at least one decent closer, but then you kind of fill up your offense kind of early uh, and take a lot more dart throws pitching wise. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on this? Is this something you would uh, employ? Yeah, this is something I've done a few times, uh, but I, I've all I've uh, modified it a bit. Like I, you know, and the way he's looked at it, the way Ron originally wrote it up was like to have one big starter, one big closer, and then seven guys. Uh, and there have been times where I've come out of an auction where that's that's what's happened, but it wasn't the plan going into the auction. Uh, there have also been times where I've spent no more than twelve dollars on on anybody on my pitching staff, and have put together good pitching staffs. But I have uh, I'm a fan of this approach. Uh, because in, a, in an auction, particularly in a single league format, I'm fine. Uh, and maybe that's just my comfort in the pitching pool uh, to be able to come out of that and spend $60 and be happy with what I have. But then again, as I was saying earlier, it's going to dictate what you do in the reserve rounds as well. So if you do that type of thing, uh, like in tout, we only have four reserve spots. I'd, I'd have to spend three of those four on pitchers uh, and then one on on hopefully a multi-positional hitter if there's still one out there at that point. Uh, but that's where you kind of have to factor that play. Lima works if you can uh, cushion it in the reserve rounds and make sure that you have some options. Uh, and that depends on your league format. If, you know, in labor, uh, we have labor in less than two weeks on, on March 5th. And labor, if you draft somebody in the active, you have to keep them there, cut them. You can't bench a guy just because he's got a, a two-start week in, in Colorado and in San Francisco. It's like, you got to use them. Uh, and so that's a that's a different format where I'm not as comfortable doing that because if I got to use them, I got to leave them in there. Uh, whereas in, in tout, at least I can stream them out. Lauren, I know you said you like to kind of proceed with a balanced approach, mm-hmm. but would, would this be something you'd be interested in trying or? Yeah, I, I think that this is kind of doable. Like, I feel like this is still I could get into this, although I think that you do kind of have to figure out, like, if you're if you're going to do that, you do have to kind of be able to. I guess it depends on your um, kind of knowing your strengths and weaknesses as, as a fantasy manager and drafter though. I think Mm -hmm. that you have to be able to uh, be able to kind of weed out guys and hit on, on certain guys uh, and be 
uh, kind of have a high successive hit rate on these guys, that, these undervalued guys or breakout guys that you have to then target. Yeah, I think this is what I've done before. Um, I, I do a little bit, like Jason said, like a little modified version where uh, maybe I take four hitters in the first four rounds and then I go with a reliever or two and then a pitcher or two, a uh, starting pitcher or two. Um, or I start off with a early starter. Like I take who I think is the best player in the uh, starter in the pool and then I ignore starting pitching for quite a while. And I think of of the years, this is a really good year to try it because the pitching pool is so deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can really like just hammer offense early and, and feel pretty confident you've got some interesting guys later on. Uh, but like I think one of you said, you have to be really good at identifying late pitching. Yeah. Um, and if that's not your strength, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, what about <clears throat> hunting categories? Um, you know, I know we've talked about balanced approach, but there's also kind of the opposite approach where you, you say, you know what? I'm not going to pay for saves at all, um, or I'm not going to pay for speed, or I'm not going to pay for this or that. Lauren, would you punt a category? I typically don't. I mean, I get. I mean, I I typically play rotos. I know that maybe if you're kind of in uh, head-to-head or points league, I understand that maybe if you want to start the season, maybe that makes sense if you want to do that. But I don't really uh, kind of share that view with kind of you know five by five like roto leagues. I just think that if you start the season with the idea of punting, then you're putting a lot of pressure uh, kind of on those other categories in order to make up for that lack of 12 points or whatever. Um, And so I don't go into drafts doing this, um, but I, I have no problem if you're at a certain point in the season and say you're lagging in, in saves or steals or something. um, And you kind of can realistically see where you are, where you're at. And if you can't kind of make up, you know, the next point or two uh, for someone in front of you, then I think kind of punting mid season or something on a category, I, I get that. And I've, I've done that before and then focus your energy on other categories. Jason. Uh, depending on league format, uh, I, I too only do roto. I don't do head to head or points, so I can't even speak authoritatively to that. Uh, but if you are in a, a, a shallow league that allows, that has a deeper bench that has, you know, the ability to make trades, uh, and also, you know, it does take two to tango on the trade. So if you have a league that does a lot of trades, but nobody trades, it's risky. Uh, but you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I've gone into some leagues where I've seen that this, and I'll, I'll punt it and you have to have confidence in your ability to leverage your reserve round. Uh, so that's, that's really my place uh, in, in the league like NFBC. No, uh, I, I don't want to take the chance. I only bring that up because in one of my DC, somebody didn't take a reliever until the 23rd round. I'm sorry. Not even that, not even that early. Uh, somebody took a, a reliever super late. Uh, somebody took a reliever in a DC 50. His first reliever was, um, Oh, wow. I'm, st- I'm still scrolling. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> the first reliever this guy took was Kyle Finnegan in the 31st round. I like Kyle Finnegan, but that's... I think, I mean, 31st <laughs> round. That's his first reliever. <laughs> then he has Pierce Johnson. Then he has Cody Hoyer in the 39th, who I like. Uh, I, I like all these picks, but I, I don't know that I... That's it. Those are his three. That's his mm-hmm. three relievers in a 50-round... Yeah, no. 600 players that's his three you and that's running because now he's yeah. gonna have to that's that's it i mean the, he you can't make trades he can't do fab that's it that's what he has to play with and so <laughs> yeah. you look at the rest of his offense and it's not heavy enough where it's going to be able to yeah. carry him 
throughout, even though he didn't take his first eight picks were all hitters. Tatis, Wheeler, Merrifield, Mondesi, Alonzo, Polanco, Altuve, and Varsho were his first eight picks. If you're going to do something like that, especially in a 50-round draft and hold, you need to take a lot more dart throws later. Just to, mm-hmm. just on like the Hail Mary chance that someone finds their way into 20 saves or even 10 saves uh, so you don't finish last in that category. Mm-hmm. Now, in, a DC, in, in, a, in an NFBC 50, uh, for those who don't know, there is an overall, but only three people in the entire contest qualify for that overall or can win that overall. And so it's really a standalone league um, in, in, in a lot of respects because it's, it's just, I mean, there are thousands of entries and only three people are going to, um, you know, get into the overall. So, um, I, I don't have a problem with punting in, in that regards, but you, you got to punt better. Um, in, in, in my opinion, uh, <laughs> I, I'd say, I would say, I will say like his, his roster construction was influencing some of what I was doing out of the three spot because mm-hmm. I figured, okay, this guy's got to take a reliever at some point because I took class A in the fifth and I took Canable in the 10th. Again, uh, if you're in a league with me and Canable's in the 10th, he's going <laughs> just letting you know that. All right. Uh, and then I took Kittredge in the 22nd, but then I took Steckenrider and I took uh, Alcala and I took Tyler Wells and I took, uh, yeah, that's it. I took all those guys as relievers thinking, all right, this guy's got to make it. And two of those times he did take a reliever. He took Finnegan and Johnson in between my Alcala and Wells pick. But there were some times where I'm like, okay, I'm taking a reliever here. And he took another starting pitcher. And I was just like, he's got to eventually take one of these guys. And then I stopped taking relievers and so did he so <laughs> well jason that clearly was part of his strategy to to rattle you <laughs> and to shake your relievers strategy up right <laughs> it, it was it it definitely got my attention where i was mm-hmm. like oh you know what i'm gonna go ahead and take this guy and see what comes back to me uh, right and mm-hmm. there are some times where i like the guy in between us in the two spot uh took a couple of targets uh, i'm looking at one at least twice because I took the reliever instead of start instead of mm. what I was looking at. Cause I needed it too. I wanted to make sure I had some kind of insurance in my reserves. Right. Um, I'm actually, for those of you who, who've listened to me or, or read my stuff uh, for, for a long time, I, I have been a big fan of punting in, in the past. Uh, the reason I changed that a little bit is because I play mostly NFBC now, which has an overall component. Um, but in standalone leagues, I have no problem punting, especially punting batting average, because batting average is a uh, a category that has a lot of variance um, that is hard to predict. Uh, and often you can punt batting average and still not finish in last. Whereas if you punt a, a standalone, you know, category, you know, you punt stolen bases, you punt uh, saves, you're going to finish in last. Um, I always say that, well, you know, if you're going to punt a category, know your league, Um, know what categories you might be able to catch back up in via trades. If your league trades a lot or, or, or open to trades, Um, you know, what categories are more scarce or, or more uh, highly sought after than others. I think it's very much team uh, or league contextual on whether or not you should punt. I would not try to punt a category um, or go into a draft or an auction punting a category with a bunch of people you don't really know. Um, you know, you should, you, if you don't know the tendencies of your, of your league mates, um, then I would not do that because you have no idea whether or not you, if you really do need to start competing in saves or do start competing in stolen bases and you need to trade for them. Uh, if people are, some leagues don't trade, like mm-hmm. that's just how they are. So no, know, know your league before you make a decision to punt. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. Um, I uh, I was gonna say I did in one league. I finished uh, six, eleven team AL only. I finished six in saves, but mm-hmm. I only had thirty to finish six because I mentioned earlier there was a couple of guys that like spending a bunch of money on relievers, uh, and so they did. And so like I'm going back and looking at my who I left the draft with. I left the draft with Greg Soto, Joe Barlow, and Peter Fairbanks. Those were my relievers. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> like for instance, um, you know, I, I've played in Tout Wars for a few years now. I played in the head to head in the NL in those leagues. I was okay punting uh categories because in head to head, you had Jake Seeley and Ian Kahn who both love to trade. Um, in NL, you had Fred Zinke who loves to trade, loves to trade. like you know, and there were other, other you know, men and women in those leagues that were very active in trading in the mixed. Uh, auction which i'm in now there aren't as many trades that happen um and so i would be a little bit more reluctant to make a move like that knowing that it'd be hard for me to catch up in a scarce category later on via trade uh so yeah that's really because i'm an al talent and al labor and the amount of trades i can two hands will cover it very Mm -hmm. especially in labor labor is very little trading uh and that's even with ian in the league uh and so like he i think pulled up too but in in tout very very little trading and it's usually like on the margins type of deal like you need a you need a pitcher that has a pulse i need a second catcher i'll trade you that catcher (laughs) for that reliever that's the deal that's typically what it ends up being Hmm. um the the next one and probably the last one we'll talk about before we get to the questions. Uh, I'll mention the other two just briefly, but uh, is drowning the pool. This is one uh, for for those who don't know what it is. It's when you use early picks to draft a lot of the same position or a lot of the same category in order to cause panic within the rest of your draft. Um, I've seen it done successfully. I don't know how well it works on a regular basis. But, Lauren, is this something you would try to do? So, for example, double-tapping closer early to try to cause a run or double, you know, or, or trying to take up all the speed guys or as many speed guys as you can to kind of cause panic without w- within the draft. But is it just for, when, like, when you draft to scare kind of the draft room and affect the, the draft as opposed to, I don't know, say you stockpile third baseman and, you know, you because you want to trade them later or something like that if you're in a league that trades? Or is it, or is it just purely I, the draft room st- tactic? I think it's mostly a draft room tactic, but also to not end up uh, having to play in the scarcity of the pool later on. So like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to load up on these speed guys early so that way I don't have to play in the Nicky Lopez's Miles Straws right. later on or guys like that. Um, this was done somewhat successfully in a tout wars years ago by Mike Gianella and Brett Sayer Mm -hmm. um, in which they took the top two shortstops in the pool on the turn uh, in, in a year where shortstop wasn't very deep. Obviously now shortstop is extremely deep. Shortstop used to be the third base of, 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 of of today, but um, and it did cause panic. People Mm -hmm. reach for shortstops. The problem was they won the league. They and they did win the league. They didn't win the league because of those shortstops. Both shortstops ended being busts. Mm, um, it was like Tulowitzki and Ian Desmond, I believe. Um, mm. So 
I, I don't know how well this necessarily would work, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess I kind of, I don't actively try and do this, but like I said, I'm really bad at managing saves. So I I do kind of hit the hit the closers, um, like you know uh, the sure thing closers like really early, but um, so I, I you know I don't have kind of an issue with it. I can see it. I I think it would be, but the, I think that actually thinking about it out loud here is that I think that that's probably the only category that maybe I would do that with. I guess maybe I would do it with speed, but outside of that, I don't. Um, like, does it work for other categories if, that you're going to try and do that with? I can't think of any other ones that it might work with. I think the I think this might work in a very novice room. I think that people know enough on how to pivot in draft in kind of sharp rooms mm-hmm. that I don't know that this would work super well anymore. I, th- I think back then when this was done, I mean, you know, five, six years ago, um, there was less information out there. And I think people now know about all these guys post-pick 150 mm-hmm. that can help you uh and so i i just don't know how successful yeah. it would be jason do you have any thoughts on this uh not really i mean i've seen like if, if you're gonna pull this off it also hinges upon like using third base as the example let's say you're in a spot and you take uh, machado and rafael devers uh as your first two so that's your 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 two three and then you look at taking Chris Bryant later because he qualifies at third, but he's also in the outfield. So it's like, if you can do that and then start picking options while not putting yourself in a hole, like, so if if you did third base, third base CI and utility, you'd be done and you'd lose flexibility if you're trying to do that. But then if you could do, you'd also have very, you'd also have very little speed. Mm-hmm. Like you, I think but to your point, if you're going to punt speed, that's one of the, you know, that's what this yeah. is the kind of approach mm-hmm. you would take. Right. Yeah. So, but if you I took a Machado Devers uh, and Chris Bryant in a, in a non NFB, you, you have to leave with the active roster field. Now all of a sudden eight rounds in you are, you know, you're full, uh, you, you've lose your opportunity. So if a bargain does present itself later, that's why it's always nice to keep that utility spot. One that you didn't include mm-hmm. here, but I would put that speaking of utility is I do like to flood that market, and that's going to be more next year when some of these guys are only DH only unless rules change. Wait, so what market? Year, what, what did you say? You like utility to flood only. I like to oh, flood okay. the utility oh, okay. only market. So like last year at Labor, I started throwing it. Every time it came around to me, I nominated a player that was utility only. So I started off mm. the draft with Yarmin Mercedes because he was utility only. He was having a great spring. Everybody loved him. Came back around, put out Franmil Reyes because he was again. So I would I kept doing that and and raising and seeing who wanted that to, to and I even did that in my own home league and it worked out really well in my home league because with people that had it, it got to a point where JD Martinez was still sitting out there because he was utility only. Uh, and I had the most money, so I got him for eleven dollars because the guy that really wanted him only had ten dollars left, mm. and I no, was able no. to use that. I kind of like that. So, I like that. I like, I like that. that strategy too. <laughs> but I think that worked so well because there were so many guys who were UT only last year. Mm. Right, but aren't, you, there aren't like, as many this year. So power sleeper this year, Gavin Sheets. He's only he's utility only. Yep. I've seen Gavin Sheets slide to the fortieth round in some of these things. Gavin Sheets has twenty home run potential in an AL only league. There's something, but you're going to have to burn up your UT spot he's the first guy i'm gonna throw out if if if, when it comes to me in labor that's the first guy i'm gonna throw out because i want to see who really wants gavin sheets uh and because uh that was one of the things that popped up in in nfbc you know if a guy has 
DH is considered a position in it. And so like he played some first base, played left field, but he had 19 games at DH. That wins. That's why he's utility only in that. So keep that in mind. Like you said, there's not that many uh, guys this year that are in that boat, but it's going to be weird next year when we have a whole bunch in that boat. There are going to be yeah, a whole we, bunch of guys mm-hmm. that are utility only. It's going to be mm-hmm. really interesting to see how that plays out. Absolutely. Uh, the last two that I'll just kind of briefly mention, one is a Labadini. It's mostly an auction one. Uh, it comes from a guy who used to be in the industry, Larry Labadini, who put together a an auction Tout Wars uh, league in which he only spent $9, so a dollar each on pitchers. Um, I've never tried it. I've always wanted to. <laughs> I Doug will. Dennis, Doug Dennis has come close a couple of yeah. times. I've been in multiple leagues with Doug. I saw Doug one year do a two forty eight twelve. I I'm very oh. very tempted to do it this year with the depth of pitching. Hmm. Um, I may do it in Tout Wars. You could only do it in a standalone league with trading. Yeah. Um, it is super super intriguing. I don't know that it's possible necessarily to win with it, but I've always wanted to try it. So <laughs> one one of these days. Uh, and then the other one is the MRI theory. Um, this is, uh, the idea where you, um, you draft or, uh, or at, at, uh, an auction, uh, get two elite starting pitchers. So this would be like a, um, almost like a pocket aces. Then you don't draft another starting pitcher. You only draft relievers. Um, and so you protect your, you, you build up your ratio categories, um, and then attempt to trade for strikeouts and wins later on in the season or do it by streaming. Um, I think this is a really interesting strategy. So, uh, and this may be one I, I try this year in an auction or a draft. So, uh, but I want to get to the Twitter questions cause there's quite a few of them. Uh, we're already at an hour, so I don't want to keep Lauren all day. Um, but, uh, Let's uh, let's start with the first one, um, which was if you could hang out with any mic in the world, <laughs> Lauren, which mic would it be? Guys, it sounds cheesy, but I already hang out with the mic. Oh. <laughs> Homer. No, it's, it's true. You know, I, I hang out with the, the mic that I want to hang out with once a week, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. <laughs> Mike Ford, Mike Minor. Who, who else can we go with here? <laughs> I mean, you could go Mike Tyson if we're going historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could go with the the painter of uh, Michelangelo. Um, yeah. uh, did I say Michael Jordan? Um, you do Michael Jordan. I'd, I'd be interested in hanging out with uh, Mike Moustakis. I think that'd yeah. be kind of fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. My Michael Simeone doesn't break my top three. Mm. And I don't oh, okay. like Michael Simeone. Mm. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be in my top three Michaels in the industry. How about that? Okay, there you go. My hands go. Yeah. Uh, uh, the next question was a keeper question. It pretty much boils down to he's got two keepers left. He mm-hmm. wants to he wants to keep a one hitter or one uh, one pitcher. The hitters are Matt Olson or Tyler O'Neill, mm-hmm. and the pitchers are Jack Flaherty, Robbie Ray, Shane McClanahan, and you Darvis. Jason, who would you keep out of these two groupings? So who were his other hitters though? Because he said he was basic. Oh. I forgot the context, but I want to know who his other hitters are because honestly, that influences. A, uh, a little give bit. me one second, and I will pull it up on my phone. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, his his locked keepers are Trey Turner, Bo Bichette, and uh, San Diego. Oh, Keith Madelson. Keith Madelson. I was I was trying to remember what it was, but he's got that Keith Madelson. 
And I'd like that, and, and that's nothing against Tyler O'Neill. He doesn't need Tyler O'Neill. No, uh, yeah, he's got the that speed <laughs> locked up. I mm-hmm. I agree, yeah. with Matt Olson. Although I mean, do you, I? It it is. I I do like Matt Olson, and I know that he cut his strikeout rate down. And I feel like if he can kind of maintain that, that's that's awesome, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it could be. I mean, do you guys believe in that change? Do you think that he's uh, successfully figured out something? I and his change of locations out? coming sooner, and that's really going to mm-hmm. help him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I agree. That's true. Too. Yeah. I, I I don't know that he keeps all the gains that he made last year, but I mm-hmm. think whatever regression is natural for him may be offset by going to a better park. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh Yeah. And like I said, then, I like I like Tyler O'Neill quite a bit, but with the way his roster is already put together for the hitter, that's where mm-hmm. I'm going. Yeah. And then for the pitcher, who would you take? Darvish. Mm-hmm. Really? I would mm-hmm. take McClanahan. Oh, um, if I'm able to keep long term, I'm taking McClanahan. If it's like a short term keeper, I'm only going to keep these guys for one more year. Uh, I'm taking Robbie Ray. Hmm. So, okay. you, I'll, I'll I'll pay I'll pair the strikeout upside with uh, with Alcantara, um, and uh, and and hope that Robbie Ray does not go back into being a walk and homer machine. Go back and beat Robbie Ray. Like I said yeah. a couple of weeks ago, remember when Blake Snell won the Cy Young? And what happened the year after? There's Robbie Ray for he, you. He year. kicked a shower or something is what happened. <laughs> he did drop a marble thing on his yeah. idiot. Uh, <laughs> uh, who would you say is a Lauren player? Meaning a guy that you can't really explain why you like, you just mm-hmm. do. Well, this was kind of difficult only because I feel like kind of doing player evaluations and analysis, you're always looking at numbers and you like guys or you don't like guys for certain reasons. So I kind of have to like flush that out of my brain. Um, But one guy actually just kind of blindly went through um, kind of player lists and I'm kind of feeling Spencer Howard this year and I cannot tell you why. And he's just like this former uh, top pitching prospect who, if you look at, you know, he's, he's only played like maybe 70 uh, innings in the bigs and it was, it was not good. Um, you know, he finished with a 743 ERA uh, and a 161 whip. And they're just, there's not a lot. Uh, it doesn't look pretty if you just kind of straight up look at his stat line. Um, and I know, you know, I'm not supposed to kind of get into, I just have a gut feeling like he's right now. I think that he's penciled in uh, as the Rangers fifth starter. And I don't know why, but I'm kind of, kind of digging Spencer Howard and I would not be surprised if he uh, does well this year. I I love Spencer Howard. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I have for a while. uh, So he's a, he's a guy that I I will continue to drive. Um, I think the easy answer for me is always Andrew Haney. Um, You know, it doesn't matter how many times the guy burns me. It was Garrett Richards. Uh, I've now I've now gotten rid of that Garrett Richards addiction because he he is not good at baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Andrew Haney's a guy I just go back to the well, no matter like what the results are. I just continue to believe that he's going to figure it out at some point. Um, so. Yeah, he's actually I just I did just kind of uh, wrote a thing up about him at Fantrax for kind of a sneaky. Uh, starting pitcher uh, strikeout source. And I had started it off by saying, full disclosure, he needs always been on my do not draft list. Oh, really? Seasons. And, um, but kind of taking, going back and kind of taking a look at his numbers. I just, 
it was the home run stuff that always threw me. And I just was just like, now I'll let someone else kind of handle that headache. And, but this season I'm kind of in, it's really, I think that year with the Dodgers and, you know, the skills are there and they're really good right now. He's going around pick 300 and that is a lot of strikeouts sitting on the table there at that price point. So I I am in on him this season. I'm very surprised about that, but if he kind of doesn't do well, then I'm probably fully out. So I'm, there's there's an opening for me for uh, Heaney this this season. I like him. Jason, Jason, who's your the Jason guy? Uh, the Jason guy apparently this year is Michael Lorenzen because I have him in all three leagues that mm-hmm. I finished. I have him in the 49th round of the 12 team DC 50, and I have him in the 30th and 33rd round of the of the draft champions that I've done uh, because the price is free uh, at that point, and yeah, the Angels signed him as a starter. They want to use him as a starter, and I have him in three leagues. So he apparently uh, is my guy. Uh, there's a few other guys we've talked about, like relief target. I also have Jorge Alcala in all three leagues because mm-hmm. uh, like fingers him. crossed about the Taylor Rogers uh, trade trade rumors uh, from the past. But yeah, that's another guy that I have. But uh, Lorenzen, uh, and then Robert uh, finally Robert Stevenson as well in Colorado, mm-hmm. talking about unsettled bullpen situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two shares of him. Uh, didn't make it in the DC 50. I should have just taken him. I never did, uh, never got to him. But the more research I dug into it, I was like, you know what? I, cause I was, I was in on Stevenson last year and took him a while to get where he needed to be. And, uh, you look at that situation and Carlos Estevez or, uh, Daniel Bard are not the full-time answer. So maybe mm-hmm. Stevenson will be. So those are my guys. Was that- right. yeah. Uh, yeah. Full disclosure, Kyle Finnegan is my most rostered player so Ooh, far this year. Okay. So I have gotten Kyle Finnegan, I believe, in eight of eight drafts so far. Is that right? Okay. No, uh, seven. Seven drafts so far. So my mo- my most rostered player. Um all right. The uh next question uh that we got from Twitter is why does she put up with Mike Cignone so willingly? There's so many <laughs> better options. Op- something. <laughs> There's so many better options to co-host a podcast with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I went. This question I, was from Mike Curlin. Right, yeah. right. And I had I had responded. I said I I ask myself this daily. You know, <laughs> no, but in like you know, Mike Michael is just so easy to work with. Like he's just like this chill, laid back kind of sweetheart, and he's great. So um, I am very happy. Uh, working with him. Um, so, yeah. Everybody noticed the spit take. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Mike's a great dude. I, I, mm-hmm. I like, I like, pot, uh, I like recording with Mike. So, yeah. uh, I, I can completely understand it. And I, I know what it's like to have really good co hosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that uh, all my podcasts have really, really, I've had really, really great co hosts um, uh, outside of Paul. Uh, I know, I know he's watching. Right now. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, Lauren, are you concerned about the coffee budget for all these SP streamers? <laughs> Did you know videos and its impact on the business long term? I, I am, except for apparently not Starbucks because Michael doesn't like Starbucks coffee. So I think Starbucks is he's a safe. good person. There, well, there you go. So I think Starbucks stock is is safe, but um, and actually, I think that he's more of a tea drinker. I could I could be wrong on that, but I think he he leans tea more. I thought he was more of a whiskey drinker, and he does whiskey as well. But I yeah, and I don't know if they're mixed in. I have no idea exactly. So at least there's been some sort of confirmation that there's actually something in there. Is liquid in there? Yeah, yeah. So uh, then uh, let's see. I think the last question is. 
why will the Braves not win the division this year? And why will it be the Mets? And that is from Michael Simeone. Yeah, this is a ridiculous question. Um, And it's coming from a, a pancake-hating Mets fan. So I <laughs> can't even believe that I have to answer this question. Um, But I, I mean, I will say to actually kind of like answer this, I don't think that uh, – I don't think that the Mets will win the division, but I will say if the Braves don't lock up Freddie Freeman, uh, you know, this season that I think they'd be, you know, playing from behind. That's a really big uh, Mm -hmm. hole to fill offensively. And I know that, um, you know, they had some of those offensive holes to fill last season with, you know, Cunha out for part of the season and Ozuna. They were able to do it, but I do think starting out um, the season with no Freddie Freeman, Besides being incredibly depressing, like I just think that 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 would be, I think that'd be tough to do. As a Braves fan, do you mm-hmm. feel like they are going to sign him? Like, I well, I would. You would think that he'd be locked up at this point, though, right? I that, mean, that, my whole I I could not believe they let it get to the mm-hmm. lockout mm-hmm. without making sure they had their franchise face yep. locked in for never. You know the mm-hmm. next five, six years. Um, yeah. I, I, that though, in and of itself does not make me like, I, I don't know what they're going to do. And I, you know, I think there was a New York times article at the end of last season where F- Freddie Freeman just said, you know, they haven't even talked to me kind of this shot, yeah. you know, over across the bow. And it's just like, yeah, why haven't you, this is, should be your number one goal is to lock this guy up. So um they haven't i I am a little nervous about it and especially now i think with recent reporting that he's been kind of talking with the yankees and but you know i mean it's the yankees i feel like they you know i think it's all um, that's also just agent talk too that's the agent trying to create the market because that's what an agent needs to do but i mean they only have this it's freeman it's schwarber it's rizzo at first base those are your Mm -hmm. three and you can't go from a freeman God, they don't have the answer in house. They're gonna have to spend the money somewhere, and they don't have the answer in house. So it's yeah. like the only reason I think they may not have done it is because they're like, oh, you know, let's try Schwarber because mm-hmm. he gives us all the power we need, and we can probably get him, you know, fifty million dollars cheaper. Uh, not that Liberty isn't printing money uh, in that whole battery mm-hmm. area, anyhow. So that's where that's the only thing I can only reason I can imagine that they're they haven't done this yet. But the agent is saying, Oh, he's talking here, he's talking here. It's yeah. what the agent should be doing. But it's gonna be interesting if they don't, uh, because then it comes down to a Rizzo or Schwarber reach, and that's great for those two camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, give me Schwarber out of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's they need yeah. to get that as soon as the lock comes off, just get that done in a hurry before yeah. all of a sudden you're you're competing against somebody else for Schwarber services and what you thought you may get four sixty for now you're paying four eighty. Right. Yeah, I just think it shouldn't even be at this point in the first place yeah. right now. So I do wonder though if some of the especially big market teams um didn't jump into the early free agency kind of pool just because they wanted to see what the CBA was going to bring in terms of the luxury tax threshold yeah, uh, and things. Because, I mean, we didn't see the Yankees, the Giants, the Dodgers, uh, the Braves. Like, we didn't see some of these, you know, kind of powerhouse teams go, yeah. I'm going to spend mm-hmm. money early. And I wonder if it's, they were just kind of waiting to see how the CBA was going to play itself out in terms of, you know, how much money they can spend. Yeah. Yeah, that's possible. I, so. Yeah, but I, I mean, to be I fair, they haven't spent too much. 
Um, and and to answer Michael's question mm-hmm. is uh as much as on paper the Mets look like they could be the best team in that division, mm-hmm. the Mets gonna Mets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just mm-hmm. they're just gonna Mets. That track record's too long, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not a meme, it's reality. That's yeah. why <laughs> right. we say the Mets are gonna Mets because it happens right. every year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, don't know what yeah, don't know really what else to, to, to say with it, but uh it's what happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I had a blast with you guys. This was fun. We should do it again. Absolutely. Uh, remind remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug everything you're doing. Yeah, you can find me at LK Auerbach. Um, you know, L-K-A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. Um, and I do, I am, I, I co-host uh, SB Streamer with uh, Michael Simeone once a week. And then I also am... Uh, doing some weekly baseball content over at Fantrax. Awesome. Definitely go follow uh, Lauren on Twitter. Go follow her work over at uh, SP Streamer and at Fantrax. Jason, what are you working on? Where can you be reached? Uh, so the bold prediction series at Rotowire, all done. Uh, yay. Uh, now I'm on to looking at, uh, talked about steals. So looking at where guy, you know, where guys are uh, ADP wise versus steals, uh, just so you can kind of see where that pocket of stuff is. It's not pretty, as we talked about earlier. As you're building out your rosters, if you if you decide, hey, I'm going to try to go get steals late, understand what you're dealing with late and the flaws that, that you have. So, working on that piece, getting into more strategy pieces now that I've gotten through the prediction series uh, and and uh, preparing for labor. That's uh, March 5th in Clearwater. Um, some of it, some of us will be there in person. Some will be remote, uh, and that'll be interesting to see how that's going to work. Uh, so, and not to mention, if they don't get this lockout done, there's already talk about taking certain players out of the pool, uh, and I, that's well because AL NL only. It's like, what do you do if you if you have a Freeman in NL and he it gets signed by the Yankees, right? So they're talking about removing the top twelve free agents by uh, by ADP, and I'm like, and then. Than just making them have a, a once to have a, like an auction between using fab money between this uh, the draft and the start of the regular season. I really hope we don't because that's really crazy to have to go in there and be like, okay, I'm going to zero out these guys in the projections and then okay, give me this. Uh, I really hope we don't have to do that, but you know, if we don't get some movement here soon, we may have to. That's going to suck. Yeah. yeah, but still looking forward to doing the the single league draft after doing all this mixed league stuff uh, for the last few weeks. And it sounds like Lauren's about to get arrested again. I know. coming. Something bust in. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, my out. <laughs> I remember living in DC too. Yep. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at uh, Justin Mason FWFB. Uh, you can hear me on this podcast obviously the tgfbi podcast which will be releasing an episode i did last week with nick pollock uh probably tomorrow or later tonight um and then uh the friends of fantasy benefits podcast as well uh i'm writing four to five times a week over on fan graphs this week i am working on a series of pieces that are going to compare adps uh, between NFBC, ESPN, Fantrax, CBS, and Yahoo um, by position. Um, it has been a ton of back-end work to get it kind of prepped, and I'm going to actually write two or three of the pieces tonight for first base, second base, and I think shortstop. So uh, if you play on 
a site other than NFBC and you're like, oh, why do we always have to hear about NFBC? I'm going to compare the NFBC ADP to those other uh, leagues and see how where you could find the best deals on certain players. Um, so uh, hopefully people enjoy that. Um, but with that, that will wrap us up for Lauren, Jason, and myself. Thank you for listening. A fantastic baseball season.